On this episode of Bet the Process, we discuss the playoff committee and the ratings, whether they got it right. Did Georgia actually deserve a chance to rematch Alabama? Uh, we move on to Jeff's hypothetical eight-team and 16-team playoff fields. We discuss bowl games and the narrative of whether coaches actually make a difference um, before turning to the NFL, where we discuss some some key injuries slash releases, cream hunt, and we get into our NFL picks. As always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app, aka the Action Network app, which is the best place to track your picks and get all sorts of gambling-related information. So with that, let's start the process. Welcome to this episode, episode 14 of season two of Bet the Process. I'm Rufus Peabody. Uh, Jeff is joining me on the phone from Las Vegas. Wonderful Las Vegas, yes. You've been there You've been there all weekend and all week. Have you found people to hang out with you? I hung out with our friend Preston yesterday. We went and played uh, basketball together. We shot around some. We played three games of horse. Uh, I won the first one. He won the next two. Uh, we decided that he would be something like a minus 400 to 500 favorite against me in horse. Um, he's, uh, he's a really good shooter. Um, I was pretty lucky to beat him the first time. Although I do think that I was the most focused because I didn't want to get shut out by him, uh, in our game of horse. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a pretty good shooter and I am old and haven't played basketball about six months. It sounds like you're training for the decathlon. I am. I've uh, been doing lots of things. I've been, I did suicides at the end of our, uh, basketball shoot around. So I'd be ready for our sprints and, um, you know, I've been do, doing lots of things. So lots of things. Okay. So uh, let's let's get into uh, let's get into the good stuff. Um, so what do you think? Did the committee get it right, Jeff? Do we have the right four teams that made the playoff? Yeah, I mean, I think arguably by the criteria they go with, um, you know, I think there are a few reasons that um, Georgia couldn't be voted in. I think one was the notion that they basically had had their shot. This was like their playoff game and they lost it. And um, the second was if they had gotten in, they would have been, you know, the only reasonable thing would have been a rematch with Alabama, um, you know, and, and I think the committee didn't want that. So you had two factors kind of going against them. And I can't say I disagree with either, you know, even, even being a Georgia fan and having rooted for them in that game, um, I, I definitely didn't, it, it was hard for me to justify putting them in. I mean, I think you and I had this conversation last week that realistically what they did in that game was probably more impressive um, than, you know, Ohio State beating a, a pretty crappy Northwestern team or Oklahoma, you know, just really just squeaking by a Texas team. Um, and, and so I think arguably, like, they should have maintained their spot, but when you get down to the fact, like really they had their shot um, and they did, they didn't win. What they do you think? I, I agree. I think that they, they rated out number three in the game grades last week uh, below just Clemson and North Carolina state and one spot ahead of Alabama. Ohio state was all the way down at number nine, but you're right. I mean, it, it I do think a rematch would have been a little, I mean, it would have been a, a great game to watch uh, and, I, I read somewhere that Bama Georgia was the highest rated college football game of the year and possibly other years too. So, you know, it, it obviously has a lot of appeal, especially in the Southeast, but, but yeah, we've seen that. Right. And, and it's, it gets hard to justify putting a two loss non-conference champ ahead of a one loss conference champ. I think, you know, we've seen two loss non or two loss conference champs get in ahead of one loss non-conference champs, but 
you know, it, it, I guess it would if if you put a two loss Georgia in, it makes the regular season a little bit less meaningful, right? Yeah, I mean, I think really if they want to go in, they should be Bama, and they had an opportunity to. The way they lost that game, obviously, even more so makes me behind the committee's decision. Like, you know, if they had, it, it's really funny because they, you know, they they basically had that game won. And I'm not sure what happened if they got too conservative or, or what really happened again, but it was in many ways a carbon copy of that, of that um, championship game last year, just in the inverse with Tua versus Hertz. Um, hmm. And it, it just, it's just strange that they can't, it, it's like they're one of those snake bitten teams right now that just can't seem to get over the hump. Um, they, they played such a great game through really three quarters. And then let one big play, you know, one big passing play kind of derail them. And, and a horrible decision to go for it or to, to do the fake punt. It just didn't make any sense. Like, if, if you have the chance to put Hurts, you know, in a, in a tough position, i.e. like pinned in his own end, having to drive, you know, 40, 50 yards, I think that's what you want because I think I think you think he's going to make a, a mistake in that in that situation. Yeah. Well. So, what do you think about Oklahoma getting in over Ohio State, though? So we we've established yeah, we that Georgia probably it. didn't belong, but right. I mean, and this is and I, I owe you three thousand dollars, but my Oklahoma features, of which I have a substantial amount, are, are still alive and kicking. Um, but Oklahoma. Like so, Oklahoma, I think outperformed Ohio State. They they were better in the game grades, number six versus number nine, and that translates to about four points better. Even though both teams covered the spread by about the same margin, and both games were competitive in the second half. Um, so I would guess, based on your logic, this game does doesn't like or those games didn't move the needle much, right? I mean, I think we talked about this last time. It's in it and it. You know, this is why I felt so comfortable with that bet versus you. It it it, it made no sense. You know, the, the committee had basically made their decision going into last week, Oklahoma versus Ohio State, and almost nothing that Ohio State could have done would have made them change their mind. Now, there was a point, obviously, when Oklahoma was after they kind of squeaked by Texas, and it looked like Ohio State may have been able to beat, you know, Northwestern by – 21, 28, 35, whatever points, like early on. Um, but once that game really, you know, Ohio State was within one score, a couple, sorry, Northwestern was within a couple, one score a couple times in that second half, I believe. And, you know, it's hard to justify. Um, an Ohio State team that generally, like, people thought was pretty mediocre for most of the year, even though they ended up with only one loss. And their loss, I think everyone thought, was, was pretty egregious, getting really blown out by a team that, you know, wasn't even in the top 25, right? True. How much, how much do you think was the loss, um, or does the loss to Purdue impact that versus the game, um, versus that narrow win against Maryland, which kind of, I guess, put that thought in people's minds that Ohio State really isn't that good and that, that Oklahoma clearly superior? Because there was a time... There was a time when we would have thought it was unthinkable that a one a one loss Big Twelve champ would have made it over a one loss Big Ten champ, given the strength of the conferences. Well, I think the other thing that's interesting with this, right, is that you have the narrative of you know Oklahoma having a historically good offense. Um, their yards per play obviously is is off the charts, and Kyler Murray is you know is quietly in some respects rewriting a lot of record books better numbers than Baker Mayfield, et cetera. Um, so, I mean, it's, it, I think it makes sense that Oklahoma's in there and it's going to be exciting to see Oklahoma play Bama. Obviously that line is, is already like 14 or something like that. So people aren't giving Oklahoma much of a chance. And, and But it'll, it'll be fun to see how much offense they're able to get because, you know, no one's really been able to stop them. So can Bama stop them? I mean, obviously they're not going to be able to stop Bama. So, It'll, it's going to be interesting. Could be an entertaining game. Okay, so in your theoretical eight-team playoff. Wait, wait, no, uh, I, I, I want to ask you one thing. I want to ask okay. you one thing that we that we just kind of glossed over. So what? I know you don't really do futures for the Heisman, but um, it would be interesting to get your point of view because 
I, I, I'll, let me check the latest numbers, but earlier this week, when they opened the highs, reopened the sort of Heisman future lines, Kyler Murray was the favorite minus 200. And he actually got bet down um, to the point where, I mean, essentially now it's, he's the favorite and Tua is, was the underdog at sort of plus 135. And so a lot of people I talked to thought there was a lot of value on Tua at plus money. Is this something that you've looked at at all? Do you do you care about it at all? Or no, and no. But I, I would think that that move is due to the narrative that that hurt. Well, Hurts brought Alabama back against Georgia, which is their best win of the year. How valuable is Tua really? Right. I mean, well, do you do you think if Tua doesn't get hurt, that Tua is still the favorite for the Heisman? Probably, but I don't think it matters because I think a lot of these votes are in already. I mean, yeah. I would assume. I don't. I just. It, well, we'll see. But anyways, Kyler Murray's minus one eighty-eight and two is plus one fifty-two. Um, I personally think there's value on two is still at plus one fifty-two. If anyone's wanting to bet on the Heisman, um, okay. Um, this is this is one of those tough ones though. It's just like the uh, the McGregor versus Mayweather one, where you think there's a lot of value, but you just don't really have like. A way to quantify that value. Well, also, so you, you want limits are low for Heisman stuff. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not. It's, you not can get low. down. Huh. What's that? I don't you know. You can get down. You can get down. Um, you know, right now you can get down to win on two. You can get down to win three k. Okay, it's more than I thought they would take. And in, in one swoop, and you know, it's Chris, so you can keep rebetting it. Yeah. So, that's Jeff, not, eighteen playoff. I, I... No, you're right. Okay. You're right. That's not that low. Okay. So, an eighteen playoff. You have in these notes here your matchups, which are Bama against Washington, Clemson, UCF, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Georgia, Oklahoma. Now, I want to say that you've criticized me in the past for the idea of all pow- all five Power Five teams getting in. Um, no, the no, top no, you group of five teams. You didn't. I don't. Th- and see, then I don't two think wild you cards. Listened, I don't. I don't think you listened to me when we had this argument. My argument was not about having the power five teams in. My argument was about how you choose which power five team, because you were saying that you still need a playoff game, and I'm telling you from a practical standpoint. Sorry, a, a conference championship game. And I'm saying from a practical standpoint, you're not going to be able to get that. So the only difference in how you and I nuanced this was that you were saying it should come from the conference championship game. And I was saying it would, should come from a conference regular season champion. Well, why don't, why don't they shorten the regular season one game? Well, because of money. Because then all of a sudden, all those question. teams have one fewer, one fewer game. Yeah. But I mean, in reality, what you're doing is adding a total of like four more games, right? I mean, that's not that many more games. How like, you know, the NFL ignores player safety all the time with, with their Thursday games, which have the highest rate of concussions of any games. Like, it's not like it's not you, like the people that run college football where, actually care about the players. It's They have to create the perception that they do. And when you, you're with this, this system and the way that you want to do it, I mean, when would you play these games? Would you play these games this week? There's a huge, like, I mean, you have most of December off. Right, but that's, we know why that is, right? That's because there's finals and holiday travel and whatnot. So there, there is this narrative that the NCAA has created around this time as being a time that they can't necessarily play games. So I mean, you have saying, Army Navy, like, you have bowl games starting. You just put, like, you do it early in the bowl game season, maybe. I don't know. For the first round. Okay. This is like silly. This is a silly argument. Um, okay. So, but you have an argument have... here. You have a 16 team playoff here, here, like also listed with matchups. And I have no idea why Buffalo would get in, but because they won the Mac. They didn't, w- they lost the conference championship. Oh, sorry. I, I meant the whoever, who would they beat? I mean, who Northern Illinois would be there. Yeah. That was a great comeback win for the process. I forgot they. I forgot yeah. they came back and win. I was, I was on a JetBlue flight. I saw I saw they were down 20 points in the third quarter, and I like 
you know, switch to a switch to something else. And then I, I look back, you know, a half hour later and, and they're up one and, you know, on defense and then, you know, and they hold Buffalo and win the game. That was kind of crazy. Yeah. Okay. So wait, so go going back to the, the top eight. All right. We have the same top eight. We, we essentially we would say that it would be Bama versus Washington, Clemson versus UCF. Notre Dame versus Ohio State and Georgia versus Oklahoma. I think we all agree that that would be really cool. Um, even if, you know, you tweak some teams like in, in this, in this way, like Mich- the only difference between this, i.e. the format of having conference champions and what would have happened if it was sort of the top eight teams period picked by the committee is that Michigan would get in instead of Washington. Right. So in, in any equation, this would be super fun. Now, I have one question to you, which is, why do you think you have Michigan so high? Because basically you have, if they played in Columbus again, what what would you have that line? Um, in Columbus right now, I would make, what, in Columbus versus, or neutral? In Columbus, because that's where they played the last. Do math in my head. Just, just fine, neutral, neutral's fine. Neutral, okay, so neutral would be Michigan minus a point. So you basically have them slightly favored over yeah, Ohio State. Basically, yeah, you have Michigan, Oklahoma, that, and Ohio State are in one tier, basically. They're all about the same. I think that passes the sniff test. I don't I don't think that's necessarily the third. You basically have them as even teams. Yeah. Um they were you were getting a lot of crap about it or you were getting some crap about it on Twitter, basically because this narrative or this stupidity that because they lost by so much to Ohio state that there's no way that they could be a better team. But obviously we don't need to spend any time on how stupid that is. This whole margin of loss thing. I mean, Ohio state lost by a lot to Purdue, but that game was close most of the game. And and at the end, they kind of gave up a bunch of points, right? Like at the very end when the game was already out of reach, it's like they gave up, which probably hurt them. Right. But I mean, that game, I think you're actually, wait, wait, Ohio state, got blown out by Purdue in terms of final score, but then Ohio state blew out Michigan. Let's say in, in a theoretical hypothetical world, um, Ohio state loses to Purdue by one and beats Michigan by three. Does Ohio state get in? Maybe. It it does seem like margin of loss matters more than margin of victory in these. But you have to, you also, I, I, I think you're underestimating how badly Purdue beat Ohio State. That game was not as close as you're saying it is. I mean, Ohio, Purdue was winning the whole game, and they were up by, you know, multiple scores the whole second half. And it Let's looked, look at the game you know, grades. It, it did not look like Ohio State was, you know, had. I mean, I was kind of rooting for Ohio State in that game, and it, there was never really a time where you thought they were going to be able to win that game. Okay, fair. Ohio State rated, graded out 54th for that particular week, um, yeah. right? Sandwiched between UAB and San Jose State, and they were a full 30, 20, 30 points worse than Purdue in the game grades. Yeah, okay. Good point. Okay. So point. Let, me move, let me move on to the, the 16 team. Uh, this is something that I've obviously been pushing for. I've been pushing for this for many, many years. And now that I look at the actual matchups and what this would look like, and also I look at some of the teams that would got, have got in. So if we did a 16-team where group of five and power five winners get in automatically, and then the next uh, six teams are sort of the top six at-large teams from the committee, we would have a playoff something like this. The first round would be Bama versus Northern Illinois, Clemson Ew. versus App State, Notre right. Dame versus MTSU, Oklahoma versus Fresno State, Georgia versus Penn State, Ohio State versus LSU, Michigan versus Florida, and Washington versus USCF. So when I look at this, I actually say like, okay, this is kind of a dumb idea because even yeah. though it does what I want, which can you let me finish for a second? Every time you got to give me a comment on how bad these matchups are, which <laughs> is my point, right? Um, you you have there's two things that I don't like about this. One, you get these kind of crap matchups, which I kind of knew we were going to get. Although arguably these matchups would be, have been a lot more fun than some even some of the you know conference final games we had this week. You get these crap matchups, but then you also get 
a bunch of SEC teams and like teams that I don't necessarily really care about getting in that, that really didn't deserve to get in, you know, like Penn state, do they really deserve to be in a playoff LSU, Florida? So, you know, it does seem like eight might be the right number to get what we do. As long as we guarantee the top group of five team to get in. Um, and that way we sort of accomplish what I want, which is, everyone every team that wakes up um on day one of the season believes that they have an actual real path to win the, the national championship i think that's what we all want i agree yeah. so quick, quick question though how would you know if, if you said the issue with an 18 playoff is, is you know we, we'd have to limit oh, no, the conference just, championship games what would you how would you how would a 16 team playoff work in terms of scheduling well, so this would this would be this it, this would be the same thing right you would do. You would do. You would get rid of. Um, and and I've said this. You get rid of a conference playoff game, and you'd get rid of potentially one of the one of the FBS's, you know, meaningless games that they do, like the SEC, you know, game where they all yeah. play a Sun Belt team or where they all play a FBS team or whatever or FCS team. Um, you know, I I don't think it's very realistic. And now that I look at it, it's probably not worth doing it. So. Anyways, I, I do think again. It, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think it's not a lo- just logistical nightmare to get it done. Well, so, it's an interesting. It's an interesting thought experiment, at the very least. Yeah. Okay. Um, you have any pick in the Army game? I do not. Do you? Uh, I do not. Um, early on, I think the the total was much higher. I think there was a lot of value in the under, but the unders kind of steamed down. So I don't think there's any value anymore there. It's weird because this game is always a big under game. It always seems like they open the line too high because both these teams yeah, you, you, like know each other so well and they just run and run and run. It's true. You don't see a lot of games matching up to uh, to option offenses either. Just a well, few two triple option of offenses, right? It's like the ultimate exactly. in, in the option. Um, Anyways, okay. Um, bowl games. I say let's wait till next week to cover to actually give our picks for the bowl games. How does that sound? Okay. But um, sure. I do think we can talk about some of the narratives. I, I read an Action Network article. Um, uh-huh. I perused an article about telling me what, everything I need to know. The best worst coaches to bet for the bowl season. So I know we don't have this in our show notes or anything, but do you believe there is anything to particular coaches being better or worse in bowl games, or is this just noise? I think there is definitely something to it, but I also feel like because the sample size is so small, it's probably really hard to quantify it definitively. Is it, is it sort of similar to preseason NFL with coaching? Um, no, I mean, similar. No, I don't, I, I would. So here's what I think. I think, Probably there are coaches that are have there. Okay, coaches make a difference. Period. We know that in football, coaches certainly are going to make a difference when they have a longer time to prepare, mm-hmm. and coaches probably get much better at understanding how to prepare for things over time. So I do think that there's going to be coaches will make a difference, but I think it's probably very very hard to quantify who, you know, statistically who is better and, and really feel confident that that what you quantify is predictive over time. So let's say, so Mike Leach, for example, he's been around for a long time. He's one and seven against the spread in bowl games. Do you think that has any predictive value? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, okay. I, I, I can explain, I can explain that narrative. That narrative is a prop. My my guess is that, you know, he's done such a good job in the past getting the most out of the talent he has, um, and you know, then I don't know. I, I can't explain so, that narrative. So I think the that years that value. so the years that he made bowl games, his teams kind of have un- overperformed possibly, and so yeah. Okay. And then when they get into the bowl, because they've overperformed, they're in a situation where they're probably perceived to be better than they are. And then, you know, talent wins out in a bowl game, especially an elite bowl game where everyone's really excited. I have no idea. It's just, it's, it's like, 
it's hurting my head to try to create this narrative. Okay. So, I mean, that, that is interesting, though, because on the other side, Urban Meyer is 9-3 against the spread, which is the best against the spread record since 2005, according to the Action Network. And so that, I mean, Ohio State's a team that's always, almost always going to win um, in terms of talent. Although some of those are going to yeah. be, some of those games are going to also be very meaningful bowl games and playoff games. So, you know, I, mean, I, I don't know I if think, that actually think, fits in, right? I think we believe that Urban Meyer is a good coach, right? I mean, he's, yes. he certainly does a good job preparing his teams for big games. And his record against the spread, I think, in his career is actually very good also. So, I mean, he, you know, all you're saying in that situation is that Urban Meyer creates an advantage for his teams that allows him to generally overperform the market perception. Yeah. I don't think there's so much, back you know, your, I don't think that's like, go ahead. Back to your, to your point though, about, about having time to prepare and, and possibly sort of um, that being a differentiating factor in, 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 in coaching, right? Like the better coaches are going to do better with more time to prepare than the worst coaches. will. they got me thinking a little bit um, about Bill Belichick and it seems like, this is just, you know, there's no data behind this this take, but it feels like Bill Belichick is better um, at preparing with a short week than other coaches. He's able to get a good game plan together in a week, whereas um, in Super Bowls, it seems like, you know, that hasn't necessarily been the case. I mean, am I, I'm reading a lot into a few, well, more than a few games um, in the Super Bowl, right? But still, it, it does, does it feel that way to you at all? Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> I mean, we're, if you think about their most spectacular losses in the Brady and Belichick era, obviously there was the game where they were favored by whatever, 14 or, or how many by to the Giants and lost on that helmet catch. And um, there was the year that they were favored pretty small against the Giants and lost them. And then there was the most recent, you know, Philly Super Bowl, obviously, where he it, it seemed like he got pretty outcoached in that game. Well, in the Falcons um, Super Bowl, too. You know they they won that game, but they were down they were down huge in the third quarter, and that was kind of a miraculous comeback. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I think part of this is that the AFC hasn't been that good during this era, and maybe he has gone into these um, Super Bowls a bit overrated because of how poor the AFC has been. Um, in the case of in the case of the Giants Super Bowl. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the opposite, right? Maybe it's when other teams have a long time to prepare against the, the Patriots, they're able to like look at the some of the Patriots deficiencies that Belichick has been able to hide, um, and with week to week sort of changes. Yeah, I can see that. But either way, it seems like having more time is kind of an equalizer, if anything. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, it, it's an interesting thing just because, you know, the, the Patriots are notorious for playing very close Super Bowls. And it, it seems like even when they win, they play down a little bit to sort of what the expectation or what the market expects them to be. So maybe there is some notion that like, yeah, that the, the, the process by, you know, like if you if you think about the narrative around Belichick's coaching, it's the system, it's the process, it's the improving and all that kind of stuff. Although then you would think by the time the Super Bowl rolled around, his team would really be peaking and, and it doesn't seem like it necessarily is. Right. Because uh, in general, they do start slow. The, the Patriots under Belichick have started a lot slower and they picked up the second half of the season and been a lot better as the, you know, as the season wore on. So based on that, yeah, you would think they would be trying to peak in the playoffs and for the Super Bowl. So yeah, the, the, the but, Brady Belichick era Super Bowl underperformance is something that I won't, I won't completely ever understand, I think, because it, it's happened enough times that I think there's something there. Like, just think about, just think about, I mean, obviously the, the Eagles are a much different team now than they were last year, but just think about that, that statement that the Eagles last year with Nick Foles, the quarterback, were able to beat the Patriots. <laughs> convincingly. Crazy. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, convincingly, um, really? <laughs> Well, I just uh, they won by one score, and yeah, the okay. Patriots had the ball driving potentially to win the game. Forgot it was so that close. I just know all my props got blown out. So, yeah, 
I did in Vegas have like a very, a very nice time at the Westgate. I want to give a shout out to John Murray, who said he's a listener of the show. Um, and he set me up at the Westgate with a nice little area to watch games. He did um, the same for me when I was there too. That's awesome. It's yeah. Yeah. They, they, was, they treat us really well. Cool. Jeff. He's a good guy, man. Seems like a smart guy. Um, but you know, flattery gets you a long way in, in our business and, <laughs> The fact that he said he listened to our show made me pretty happy. Uh, okay. Um, you move on to the NFL? Yeah, let's do that. So I don't I don't think we have a ton to talk about on the NFL. I mean, there's some narratives. Obviously, the loss of Kareem Hunt, the loss of Melvin Gordon. My guess is you don't do anything. How much, I guess, in your player model, if you're willing to give away a little bit of, of, uh, of information on that, how much would you adjust, you know, KC or Melvin Gordon, or sorry, or the Chargers based on missing these sort of two elite running backs? In the player level model, um, to be honest, I don't know exactly. I could, I could take a quick look here. Um, why don't you keep talking about something else while I look? Sure. Uh, I think it's interesting in the certainly in both cases, right? I mean, if you have a sample size of one the narrative would be that Casey was pretty impacted by the loss of Hunt. They look sort of like listless and they, you know, they, they barely beat a terrible Raiders team, et cetera. And they don't seem to have very much behind him. They have, you know, an old Spencer Ware and some journeyman running backs behind him. But then the flip side would be the chargers who seem to be, you know, they have Eckler who is this amazing multi-talented guy. And then, had his third string running back, Jonathan Jackson, come in and look very good against the Steelers and and in some respects didn't seem to miss a beat without Gordon. But, you know, I was talking to um, Preston and one of the reasons that he liked the Chargers last week, sorry, he liked the Steelers last week, was he showed value on the Steelers with Gordon and and knowing that the Gordon wasn't there gave him even more confidence on value on the Steelers in that game. That, I mean, that, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, if it's still have the number. are we still, are um, we still so, so I, I have the different number. I, I can't tell you how much, uh, how much hunt was, but I can tell you the difference in the player level model from, um, from what I made the number last week, assuming hunt was playing at the beginning. So that was, so they moved down from a, um, a plus five. Well, they moved down by 1.4 points, but that's also due to how they played last week as well. So, there's a few things to play there, basically. But well, you it looks like that drop-off was numbers. mostly on offense. You didn't, wait, you didn't adjust your numbers when Hunt was announced out? Um, let's see. That's a point and a half on offense. Um, I, I I didn't. That, that that happened late enough in the week, and I knew I didn't have a position. That, or Yeah, I didn't have a position there. No, you had Oakland in that game, didn't you? Yeah, you had Oakland. Oh, wait. Yes, I did. You don't know, Sorry, you don't know, you don't know what you're talking about. I, you I probably was like, thought they I play again. You probably no, I already had a full position. I, I had, had a full position. position. Yeah. I wasn't going to change anything. Well, like in, in general, I know your position is better than you do. I was trying to remember who they played. <laughs> but seriously, it, it, the games at the margin are the ones where I'm going to want to go through and, and actually look into those individual playing time um, things and injuries. But but games like games like that where I already have a full position, there's there's no there's no real point for me to do that. Got it. Um, Okay, so Philly, um, do you feel like they've turned the corner now? Uh, I think we both like them this week going up against Dallas. Or is the reason that we have them so high, probably relative to the market, just using using priors more than someone else? That's a good question. I, I think it's partly priors. But, you know, I think that uh, you think the the whole injury narrative has has hurt them a lot. Yeah, I guess that narrative is still there, right? The the missing mm-hmm. a lot of the D defensive players, et cetera. But on offense, they basically have the same you know same team plus Golden well, Tate that they had last now, year, right? Exactly. Golden Tate. Yeah. Golden Tate's are the real deal. Well. But aren't they? Are they missing? Yeah, you know they're missing a Jai. So from that standpoint, people probably mm-hmm. think 
they're worse off at running back. But I would say that. But Josh Adams has been good. I think Josh Josh Adams Adams fills that role well. He's huge too. Clement's good, and um, so anyways, um. Why do we? Watch, I was at the game watching. Josh, I was down. I was sixth row watching Josh Adams run. Is like, I wouldn't want to get in the way of that guy. He's huge for a running back. Did you? Um, did you have anything in that second half? No, I, I didn't actually. Um, it, it was one of those. I, I tried to guess what the pregame spread would have been, it, knowing that Sanchez was the quarterback for the Redskins, and the game closed at I think five and a half. And so I was like, let's put it at nine and a half and see what happens. And you know, I. I um, but I, I just laid off it entirely. I had, we had, um, you know, in our model that doesn't know that Sanchez is out, we had Washington plus the four and a half and, um, Philly, the under in the second half. So I manually overrode the Washington bet and we just bet the under 21 and a half. Yeah. I'm not surprised if we liked it. If we, if we, what's that? I'm not surprised we had the under. Yeah. So we, anyways, um, well, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens to Philly because there is certainly this, when you have a team like this, that's underperformed all year, when it seems like they've turned the corner, I think people are really quick to adjust to that and maybe almost too quick to adjust to that. But again, like it, this is like a real, you know, it's, it's like a, a small Petri dish experiment about how much priors matter, right? Sample size of one. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they play out the season because they have not played particularly well this season. Um, and, you know, obviously the the perception was that they were going to be very good. Um, well, did you, to did your you point, early? Wait, to your point, the Cowboys, I think the perception is they've definitely turned the corner and they're a completely different team than they were early in the year. And so I think there's value on Philly here because of that perception. And it'll be interesting to see if Philly wins this week, how much, you know, maybe we will find them overvalued next week. Yeah. I mean, the, this um, Cowboys playing that sort of ridiculous game against the saints and their, their defense looking like the bears 85 defense was, was, uh, was pretty ridiculous. Uh, anyway, it was okay. impressive. Um, it was a fun oh, game to watch, great. too. It was. It was. I agree. So, uh, Todd Gurley, did you see that, what he tried to do again? Yeah, I, I did. You know, and, and they couldn't just take a knee after that either. That's the funny thing. But I think he just did so it, that's... you know, for fun. But, I mean, the game was – it's still – they could take a knee and kick a field goal if they wanted and make and basically put the game out of reach with a lot less well, so time that off. Was... So. That was that was my point, right? My point is that if you're going to do what he did, you need to follow it up with taking a knee three times and kicking a field goal. Because ultimately, that probably is your best win probability scenario from the point where he's about to run into the end zone. Would, would you agree? Yeah, but I think, well, you know, McVay is the one who makes that decision after, you know, after, you know, to take any or not right. afterwards. So, so. so the so the inconsistency that so to me, right, as someone that like believes in like consistent strategy amongst a company, right? Like I work in a company and I think a lot about how you need to have like this very consistent strategy. That that was like this inconsistent strategy between coach and player. Because what Gurley ended up doing based on what they ended up trying to do later was was a bad decision. Because if they're going to continue to try to score a touchdown and almost score it right away, they're putting at risk fumbling the ball or, or whatever. Obviously, very small risk, but much bigger risk than if they had just taken a knee. Um, so he should have just run the ball in then. Yeah. You understand what I'm getting at? I do. I agree. Okay. Maybe not that interesting to talk about then. Finally, Lamar Jackson versus Flacco. Um, you know, where are you on this? Like, how, what's 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 the difference in terms of ratings for you in Lamar Jackson versus Flacco? You know, I still have Flacco is a little bit better, and I think RG three playing kind of showed that. Right, you know, he was only in one drive and completed a few passes, but um, the Ravens' running game has been what's been good, and their defense is what's been good. It has not been quarterback play that's been elevating this team. 
Well, you know, they've, they've you played, they've played our, some injury opponents, except, I mean, Atlanta, Atlanta's got a good offense, but Atlanta's defense has not been good, and they've been banged up. They did get Deion Jones back, but still, their defense has not been good. But I still think Atlanta's generally been been underrated, and I think that they're, um, you know, they're better than they've played. But but the games before that, they played, you know, Cincinnati and Oakland. And so you can't, you know, you can't conclude too much based on, like, those are two of the worst defenses in the NFL. Well, but you also have to listen to what you just said. You said their, their run game has been the thing that's done it for them. And Lamar Jackson's a huge part of the run game, right? Even, even if he's not the one running the ball, having him in there as part of that running game is, is a big thing. That is a good point. And that's, that's harder to quantify, especially if you're just doing a player level rating. You know, you can, you can judge Lamar Jackson by how he runs, but it's hard to judge. I mean, but part of, Part of you're right, as you said. Part of the the running game and and, and Edwards running the ball is going to you know part of his success is going to be um, dependent on Lamar Jackson actually the threat of him keeping it. Well, he they actually said at the beginning when Edwards was starting to get time that he would continue to get time, and this is before Alex Collins was announced out for the year that he would continue to get time because he was much better in the zone read offense. So as long as Lamar Jackson was quarterback, Gus Edwards was going to be a big part of their offense. It seems like he's proved to be a pretty decent running back. So, and Alex Collins is out for the year. So, you know, he's probably still going to get some pretty significant run. He's like the Alfred Morris of the Ravens. The Alfred Morris. He's the Alfred Morris to to Lamar Jackson's RG three, huh? Why? Because Alfred Morris is good at the zone read. Alfred Morris and RG three um, back in 2012 were were very good in the zone read. Right, but Alfred Morris has caught like four passes in his life. Um, True. Okay. You want to go to picks? Yeah, let's do picks. I don't trust your accounting, by the way, because when you were correcting the records, you also just shortchanged me a game last week. <laughs> oh, I short well because I went back and I found there was a game that you hadn't graded because I was I know, like, why, why do you have like, one fewer games? One fewer. You, you had one fewer no. NFL game graded, and I looked back and I found there was a week where you only gave yourself a two and two instead of a two and three. Okay, I but can, then I, you proceeded. Then you proceeded to skip grading the the Philly game from last week that I won. Oh, that's because I did the grading on Sunday and Sunday night, and then I graded it. Um, I added the grade yesterday. No, you didn't. I added not. it. Yeah. Well, well, you then added. You didn't. Right. My point is to me that you tried to, you said you corrected the grades yesterday and you didn't because you didn't put the Philly game in. So I had to add the Philly game in. I, I added it so. to your overall NFL record, though. I know that. No, no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, I yeah, did, I did. I you you looked like. Oh, you added it. No, I, I did added add it. it. You... No, no, I had already added it. So, so I corrected you have, your. You, so it, you didn't. You didn't because you had me as three and one from last week. I said three and one there, but I actually added it to your actual. All right, let's records. not even. Let's not even. Because right now you, you you're thirty three twenty eight and four, not thirty four twenty eight and four. If you go back and look at last we, week's, yeah. We anyway, can go back and look. In very great radio. By the way, we should recap our CFP picks, shouldn't we? Because we did quite well. Five uh, and one as a process. From last, from last week. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's, I mean, we we did well last week. We don't need to like belabor the point. We you, we went five and one in college, and we went eight and two in the NFL, and great, blah yeah, blah. Okay, it means nothing for what we're doing in the future. Like, I think the bigger thing is we're both over, you know, fifty something percent. So you're at fifty uh, six for the season. I'm at depending on whether how we resolve this issue. I'm either at fifty four or fifty five percent. Okay. Well, no, uh, you're at you're at fifty five point six for the season overall, college and pro. Overall. I'm at fifty six point three. So we're both we're both we're both solid. Oh, sorry, I was looking just at my NFL picks. Got it. Okay. okay. Um, so, Jacksonville plus five. You have them at four mm-hmm. and a half, so we can go with four and a half. Oh, it's um, five now. It's now. solidly a five, so we can go with five. Okay, so okay, solidly a five. Jacksonville plus five. Um. Yeah, I was sadly I was sadly against you last week with Indy, and um, I I think that you know 
This uh, DJ Hayden being back for them on defense seems like it makes a pretty big difference. And um, also like this idea that Kessler is not any worse than Bortles makes some sense. So I like Jacksonville here. I like Jacksonville plus five as well, but I do think Kessler is worse than Bortles. I'm just higher on the Jacksonville defense in general. And I think lower on Tennessee. They, yeah, they had those, uh, they played well for a few weeks, but, but they, they had a dud last week against the Jets, it seemed like. I mean, I have to look at the game grade, but um, I don't think it was that good. Yeah, they were way down yeah. there. Despite winning, they, they were outperformed by the Jets. They, they graded out number 25 out of 32 teams last week. So, Whereas Jacksonville graded out number 17. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, Carolina minus one um, at Cleveland. Um, seems like a very short line to me. I'm not sure why it's so short. I was like, is someone injured that I don't know about? It's the, it, it doesn't make sense. And maybe it's just this narrative that Cleveland has turned the corner and they have all this talent. And now that they got rid of Hugh Jackson, blah, blah, blah. But, and, you know, Cam played that terrible game last week. But um, I like Carolina here a lot. Um, the, the line's actually minus two. Most play. it's minus one juiced or minus two, so I think minus two. Let's let's grade it against minus two. I, I have that as well. Uh, you know, it's interesting though. Cleveland, um, they'd been they'd been very good in turn in the turnover margin all year, and then they lost four nothing last last week. But they actually performed way better than Houston, despite getting blown out in the numbers. They were better in yards per play. It's just it's just really really hard when you, when you're minus four in turnovers to keep a game even competitive, let alone win. Um, on the other hand, you know, Carolina um, lost a game they needed to win for the playoffs, but they still um, they they still were the number seven team in terms of the game grade. So they, I think, both Carolina and Cleveland were teams that outperformed their you know actual margin. But I, I like Carolina as well. I've I liked them last week, unfortunately, which didn't uh, work out too well. But hoping this week is different. So. They're minus one, minus one fifteen on Chris. I think we can age and handicap this one. But they're they're minus two, minus one oh six slash plus two, minus one oh four at Pinnacle. So I mean, you know, the it's not like the two's worth a ton. Okay. Well keep it at minus two then. Um that's fine. Yeah. Um next one I have the Jets plus three that's a i definitely think i can get asian handicap with three three and a half let me let me look i'll be the arbiter here yeah you get three you get 3.25 there for sure okay um just do you think there was a world where buffalo would be favored by three over three against anyone this season mm, no not really but <laughs> You know, I, I this isn't a pick for me, but but I um I liked it at th- it when it was three and a half flat. Um, but my third pick, I'm going to take a very unpopular pick: the Redskins plus three and a half against the Giants. That you know, there's a there's a lot to unpack there because um, you have you have Sanchez who was unemployed a little more than two weeks ago. They don't have you know they don't have the full playbook at his disposal, obviously. Uh, so I think my numbers are going to be a little bit off there and and I'm going to overvalue him a little bit too, because of his experience. And so, you know, generally a backup with more experience is better than a backup with less experience, although there is less variance. Um, but I guess it comes down to like, like I, I would make the spread Washington minus one. So the question is, is all that worth four and a half points and, or not four and a half, but enough to, you know, is it worth like three points? Let's say. Like, are, are the Giants really five points better than the Redskins on a neutral field? Or actually, sorry, that'd be, they need I mean, to be I six think, points. I think to justify this, is that line. Classic, this is a classic hard to model an outlier, and um, Sanchez might be an outlier in this case, right? I mean, he's, like you said, he was unemployed how many days ago? He's, you know, how much of this offense is he going to know? What is he going to be able to do? There's a lot of unknowns here, and essentially what you're saying is you're comfortable with the amount of unknowns because of the amazing amount of value there is from the things that you do know. Yes, I, I think it is an overreaction. And I did give 
you know, I did penalize the Redskins. I, I basically, you know, by saying, yes, they had two quarterbacks injured. Um, so that sort of injury adjustment for Massey Peabody was, you know, multiplied, but yeah, I, I, you know, and the red, you know, both teams have defenses and other players as well. The Redskins have Chris Thompson back and some other weapons, and I'm sure they'll be able to, you know, they're going to try to game plan around, you know, Sanchez's strengths. I feel weird saying that, but does he have any? He was really good with the ladies at one point. Ah. So there you go. I used to okay. run into him in Vegas every once in a while. Okay. <laughs> uh, Denver minus four is my fourth pick. <laughs> Excuse me. You okay. All right. Sneezing. That moved down after this on the Sanders news, huh? Yeah. <laughs> moved from five and a half to four. That's a big move for a wide well, receiver. Mean, well, and I think part of that is the perception of the fact that they've already lost Marius Thomas, right? So you have like essentially the top two receivers that were well known for them out. But Portland Sutton, I mean, their though. team is they have Cortland Sutton and they have Patrick Lindsay, who just looks like a monster as a running back for a dude that's tiny. And I think he was under was he undrafted? He's really or seventh good. round, maybe. Although I, I, you know, I thought his name was Philip, but maybe you know him better than me. Is it Philip? It is. And he lives with That's his parents, movie. which I think is cool. Well, he went to Colorado. I know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Philip Lindsay. God damn it. Messed up his name. Uh, everyone made, made, a few people made fun of me about the decathlon being eight events, but little do they know that a decathlon is really eight events. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to take the Chargers laying 14 against Cincinnati. And a rare double-digit wow. favorite, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I make. We it actually like the other side. Six. We like the other side there, but I, I was not man enough to pick it on the show. Honestly, you know, if if Andy Dalton was healthy, I I wouldn't like the Chargers here, but that line also would be different too. I think Driscoll is a, a very big downgrade. Yeah, seems like it. Um, I'm going to take Philly. Finally, we both have it. Philly plus three and a half. We we talked about this game a bunch, so I'm not sure we need to talk about it more. Okay. So that's I it. that's that's it, everybody. Uh, until next time, have a great week. <laughs>